We're going to be reviewing a, uh, a fair amount of the psalm tonight, but primarily we're going to be looking at um, verses 25 to 32. So as we get started, as you get into Psalm 119, I will, uh, I'll read these few verses. So Psalm 119 in verse 25 says, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have recounted my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will muse on your wondrous deeds. My soul weeps because of grief. Raise me up according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your judgments before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Yahweh, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. So let's, let's open in a word, with prayer, word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimonies even that we've heard this evening. Lord, the desires to share the gospel, Lord, to, to lift up those uh, that are in need of, uh, of hearing your truth, that are, that are in need of, of healing, Lord, both physically and spiritually, Lord. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you intervene on our behalf, even in, in worldly matters, Lord. Thank you for the faithfulness of, of Ed and, uh, and Maria. Lord, pray that you would continue to preserve them and encourage them, Lord, uh, through your word, through your spirit working in them. Lord, give us uh, wisdom this evening, Lord, and understanding, Lord, as we take a look at your word. Uh, may your spirit work in each one of us. May it have its uh, perfect effect on our hearts. Lord, may you be glorified in it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, I, I probably should have mentioned I've been reading from the, uh, from the Legacy Standard Bible. So um, it's a transition to go from the NASB, which I've used for years. But there are, there are reasons why I like the Legacy. It's obviously you hear the word Yahweh. That's probably the first thing you pick up on quite often. Um, but there, there are different reasons, and I, and I enjoy it. So that's what I will be reading from tonight is the, is the Legacy Standard Bible. Before we get into Psalm 119, if you would, just hold your finger there, and I'd like you to turn to the book of Colossians for a minute. Book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. When you get there, I'm just going to read a couple verses. And the first one I'll read is verse 2. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind to focus, uh, to meditate on. It's a singular focus. It sets your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. He's saying that you can't be focusing on spiritual things and at the same time be focusing on worldly things. Right? And then move down to verse 16. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word, the word it's settled down inside of us. It's a constant companion, if you will. Let the word be that which we have learned, believed, and be living out because it is God's word and it is dwelling within us. And the second half of the verse says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And I was thinking, do we not at times find great encouragement from the hymns that we sing? Right, Hymns that are filled with God's truths, the words they teach, they lead us to worship, and at times they exhort us. So with these things on our mind, the desire to focus on things above, and having a desire to have the Word of Christ deep in us, encouraging, instructing, and guiding us, and a desire to teach and admonish with each other with psalms and hymns, that's what I wanted in our hearts and in our minds as we go and we take a look at Psalm 119 tonight. So, if you would, turn back to Psalm 119. And a little bit of background on this. I'm sure many of you have studied Psalm 119. It's the longest of the Psalms. right? It's 176 verses. You can see in your Bible, I'm sure it's broken up. It's, uh, it's broken up in sections. Each one has eight verses to it. Um, and they correspond to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Right, so you can see verses 1 through 8, that's the Aleph stanza. Right, and then Baith and Gimel, and tonight we'll look at Daleth. Um, so there's, there's 22 of these stanzas, and there's 8 verses in each. Do the math, that ends up to be 176 verses. And it's an acrostic hymn. Uh, acrostic hymn, it's an acrostic psalm. So what that's saying is, you can see it's, each one is labeled Aleph or, or Baith. But in, in verse 1 as an example, the very first Hebrew word, the first letter, is Aleph. And, and it goes that way through each of the verse. Each word begins, the first word in that verse begins with that Hebrew letter. So as an example tonight, we're looking at, at Daleth. So the first Hebrew word in each verse begins with that letter. And that is an acrostic psalm. Um, there are eight, uh, not, there are a total of eight additional acrostic psalms. Psalms, you can just write these down if you want to. Psalms 9, 10, 25, 34, 111, 112, and Psalm 145 is an acrostic, and you might remember that from this morning because Pastor read Psalm 145, and that is an acrostic psalm as well. So that's a little bit of uh, the breakout of this psalm. Also, we do not know who wrote this psalm, right? We do not know the author. Um, but we do know when we look at the internalness of this psalm, that it, this is a very personal testimony. This is a psalmist that it's convicted. And, and a lot of that drives who we might think wrote Psalm 119. If you ask most people, many will say that they believe that David wrote Psalm 119. And there are good reasons to believe that. Um, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Samuel 13, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says, But now your kingdom, that's, that's Saul's kingdom, shall not endure. Yahweh has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. And we understand this man after God's own heart was David, right? And you'll see a lot of, it's, it, this is a heartfelt convicting psalm. So there's good reasons to think it was David. Um, there are many who believe Daniel may have been the one that wrote this psalm. Um, and there are good arguments there. Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel set in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. So Daniel set it in his heart. He had a personal conviction that guided the life of Daniel. And we certainly see the heartfelt convictions of this psalmist. So it could have been Daniel. And there are other reasons. This is just, just an overview. If you ask the Jewish people who they have believed historically wrote Psalm 119, they would say Ezra. 
They believe that Ezra wrote Psalm 119. Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of Yahweh and to practice it and to teach his statutes and judgments in Israel. That was Ezra's conviction. Ezra's personal conviction was to study, to practice, and to teach the law of Yahweh in Israel. Right? So there are good reasons why the Jewish people attributed Psalm 119 to Ezra. But the bottom line is, we don't know. We don't know who wrote and who is the author. But what is clear is that this is a personal testimony of a faithful man of God. Right? That is what's clear. And as we were reminded in Sunday school, I think, I think some of the things that we heard in Sunday school was that as we were going through Ahab um, and Jezebel and uh, Elijah, we were encouraged to not think about these as just stories. Right? It's easy to go into this and think about that it's, it becomes a story. It doesn't become personal. But these are real lives. They're real people. They had real shortcomings. They had real challenges. And that is exactly what we see in Psalm 119. Sometimes I think it's easy to read this psalm and kind of get lost in sort of, I don't know if it's a repetitiveness or there's a lot about the law. Sometimes it can get maybe get a little bit lost. But this is a personal testimony. And that's one of the things that I'd like to show tonight and to share with you. Um, it's written as a testimony. It's a psalmist that's writing it. This is my life. This is my testimony. And he's written it so that we might learn from it. Right? He's, he's sharing it with us so that we might learn from his testimony. Um, so a couple things. Look back at the very beginning of the psalm. Back in, say, in uh, verses 5 and 6. If you look at verses 5 and 6, what you see is, he says, Oh, may my ways be established to keep your your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed. When I look upon your commandments, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness. What you see is my, I, I. Um, I'm pointing this out because in these 176 verses, 325 times you see the word I or me or my, right? So that just dials us into the fact that this is personal. This is the psalmist's testimony. He's saying saying to you, this is what's happening to me. These are my convictions. These are my challenges, right? So I'd like you to see that as you read through this psalm. It's a personal testimony, but more importantly, the psalm reflects a person's individual heart towards God and towards his devotion towards God. This psalmist had a heart for God Um, And he had a devotion to God. He deeply loves the Word of God. And I would say the God of the Word, right? We hear that phrase that way sometimes. He He loves the Word and he loves the God of the Word. And I think it's helpful that if we we look at some of the verses that reflect the psalmist's love for and delight in God's Word. Um, Please, just listen. There's a lot of them, and I'm just going to read through them quickly. But I'd like you to hear his attitude towards the Word of God. The psalmist says, beginning in verse 14, he says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. 24, your testimonies also are my delight. 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. 47 says, and I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. 48, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. 70, I delight in your law. 
72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 77 says, for your law is my delight. 97, oh, how I love your law. 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. 111, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. 112, I love your law. 129, your testimonies are wonderful. 140, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. 143, your commandments are my delight. 161, my heart stands in awe of your words. 162, I rejoice at your word. I love your law. 167, I love them exceedingly. And lastly, 174, your law is my delight. So clearly the psalmist finds his greatest joy, his greatest pleasures, and his greatest comfort in the words of God. So, so why did I take the time to read each of these verses? Well, do me a favor. Look at the way verse 25 begins. Verse 25 says, My soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. The psalmist has found himself in deep spiritual discouragement. This is a person who verse after verse couldn't get enough of God's word and loved it beyond all measure. And yet he says, my soul clings to the dust. So here's the point. If the psalmist, if this psalmist, if this man of God can reach this level of spiritual discouragement, it can happen to any of us. If it can happen to him, it can happen to any of us to become that discouraged. We face, and he faced, worldly challenges, societal pressures, physical illness, sinful habits, family issues, work struggles, and many events can drive a person to the depths of spiritual depression. Maybe some here tonight have felt this way. Life can't get any harder. The pain can't possibly get any worse. Our psalmist is going to share his pain, but then remind us that for him, And for us, God has the power to restore us. And not only does He have the power to restore us, He delights in it. God delights in restoring us. He delights in His children coming to Him in order to be, as the psalmist will say, revived. Right? Intellectually, we know that, but it doesn't make it less hard. It's still hard. Right? The The psalmist understands it. And he wants to share his own personal testimony that we might learn from it. So as we work our way through the dollar stanza, verses 25 to 32, there are four patterns that are characteristic of those who are being strengthened in the Lord. In keeping with the style of of Dalith, I've labeled each characteristic pattern with the beginning with the letter D. Right, so it's, it's, it's just characteristic, it's patterns. And the first one is dependence. The first pattern is dependence. The second one I've labeled digestion. The third one I've labeled determination. And lastly, delight. Right, so looking again at verse 25, it says, My soul clings, or your Bible may say cleaves. My soul clings to the dust. This is a poetic, metaphorical picture of the psalmist lying prostrate on the ground 
with no ability to help himself. Right? He's at the end of the line for himself. He has no way to help himself. He's reached the spiritual bottom. You see something similar in verse 28. Verse 28 says, my soul weeps because of grief. And we're not told exactly the cause of the psalmist's discouragement. It is possible that his conscience has been convicted of sin. Right? Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, remove the false way. He's praying that God would take away any opportunity for him to fall short of that which brings glory to God. It is possible the psalmist has been caught, brought to despair over a sin. It's also possible that dealing with those who stand against him has become overwhelming. Right? Um, if, you, uh, if you look back to verse 23, stands above, verse 23, it says, even though princes sit and talk against me. Right? So we get the sense. There, people are talking against him. He's standing for the truth of God's word. Um, and they don't like it. And they're standing against him. And that can bring a lot of pressure on somebody. It can bring a lot of pressure on any of us. Right? So we see the pressures, you know, for standing for truth. And he also speaks of afflictions. Afflictions is brought up a number of times in Psalm 119. Do, do me a favor. Move, turn over to, to uh, verse 107. Take a look at 107. A couple pages over. In verse 107, the psalmist says, I am exceedingly afflicted. We could spend nights talking about this word afflicted. Right? If in talking about why God uses afflictions in our lives. But nonetheless, it is difficult. But whether it's sinful issues or whether it's the pressures of society whether it's family issues, whether it's work issues, whatever the issue is, the answer to that is always the same. The psalmist always has the same answer. So we'll get to that, but what's most important is the path through the pain. It's the path through the pain, and it begins with dependence. It begins with the dependence on God. While you're still in verse 107, if you're still there, he says, I am exceedingly afflicted. And then he says, O Yahweh, revive me according to your word. That is what he says every single time. Revive me according to your word. The psalmist is pleading in prayer for God to work in his heart. O Lord, revive me, restore me, re-energize me, refresh me, encourage me. How? It's always through God's word. Revive me according to your word. It's not the circumstance which matters most, but dependence on God. That's what matters most. So if you turn back to our section in um, verse 25, you'll see this again. He says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28 says, my soul weeps because of grief. And he says, raise me up according to your word. The answer and the prayer are always the same. And it begins with acknowledging our utter dependence on God. We also see the psalmist's dependence in verse 29, where he prays asking God to remove the false way from me. That is dependence. He's asking God to do this, remove the false way. 
The psalmist knows that left to his own strength, he will often choose the false way. So he's asking God to remove it. If left to his own strength, he will wander from the ways which God has set up perfect. Prone to wander, right? In fact, let me just read the final verse of Psalm 119. The final verse, number 176. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. The final verse of the psalmist's testimony to each of us to learn from is this. It's his final prayer. He says, I have wandered off like a lost sheep. And here's his request. Search for your slave. Search for me. Right? He's, he's dependent. He never wants to lose focus on the fact that he cannot do this on his own. He will wander. He will stray. He'll choose the wrong path. He has to be dependent on God. And God, he's asking God to revive him. He needs to be rescued from the dust, as he says, from the depths of despair. Come to me. He says, search for me. He's asking God to come to me where I am. Wherever I am, and whatever spiritual challenge I'm having, come to me there. That's what he's asking. That is his prayer. And I, I will add that in the Hebrew construction, what's behind this word revive, when he, when he says, revive me according to your word, the psalmist is not asking, hey, I'm in the dust. Just you know, kind of get me up so I can start crawling through life again. No, this, the Hebrew construction is that this is, this is a strong revival. He doesn't just want to live. He wants to live abundantly. He wants to get back to the way he was living for God. And he wants to live abundantly. Not just get by, but to be engaged and enthusiastic again for all the things of God. That's what, that's what he's praying for. Why, why, why do you, I mean, it, it may seem obvious, but why? We can take it biblically. You can look back. Why does he want this? Look back at verse 1. Verse 1 says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless. Verse 2, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. He wants the blessing back. When he's clinging to the dust, when he's in spiritual agony, he's not walking according to God's commandments, and he wants the blessings back. He knows there's blessings for following after God. So that's why he wants to be revived. That's why he wants the vigor in his life back. So I would say that in this section, I think it's been pretty clear that walking with passion and energy and vigor for the things of God begin with acknowledging our dependence on God. Right? We have to acknowledge our dependence and our need. We go to God's Word in dependence, and He will accomplish that which He desires to do, which is to revive us. Next, verse 26, the psalmist says, I have recounted my ways, and you have answered me. Here the psalmist is stating that he has done exactly what Solomon said to do in Proverbs 3.6. Right? Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The psalmist in, in Psalm 119 is saying, I have recounted my ways. I have gone to God in prayer and brought all my paths, all my ways before him. He says, I have recounted my ways. In men's study, we, we talked about the various paths that we're on. For me, I recognize the paths of being a father, a son, a husband, a neighbor, an employee. And I'll tell you, this list of various paths we are on can, can be and is much more is an extensive list of all the paths we are on. 
as an example, an employee, I'm not just an employee. Each person that I have regular interaction with is a different path. Different needs and opportunities, different challenges that all need to be brought before God. Or in the words of the psalmist, recounted before God. And I would encourage each of you to take some time and write down and think about the different paths in life that you're on, the different people that you interact with. Because it says, in all your ways, Proverbs, in all your ways, all the paths you're on, acknowledge Him. And God in His way and His timing will make those paths straight. The psalmist did this. He says, I've recounted my ways. I think we would all agree that we need to go boldly to God, as the psalmist does, and bring to Him every path we on, every fruitful, fruitful path, every pain, every sin, every area we fall short. And to consider this point a little further, I'd like to read a couple of verses from one of our favorite hymns. Right? It's, what a friend we have in Jesus. Remember Paul's exhortation to the Colossian believers? We had to minister to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen to this first verse in What a Friend We Have for Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now listen to this. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what a needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. By God's grace, may we remain dependent on Him and like the psalmist, recount all our ways. He says again in verse 26, I have recounted my ways and you have answered me. The understanding that God answers prayers gives him the boldness to make additional requests based on his dependence. Look at verse 27. The psalmist request says, Make me understand the way of your precepts. He recognizes the need to go beyond just the text of the Scripture to understand what God has meant by what He has said. For us, an example might be, love your enemies. Right, Luke 6.27 Three simple words with much to be understood, much to be convicted of, much to be practiced and lived out. We ought to be praying along with the psalmist for understanding. And here he tells us specifically what he wants, what he's specifically praying for. He says, make me understand the way of your precepts. As we come to the word precepts, it's a good time to, to mention that throughout Psalm 119, there are 10 synonyms for the Word of God. Precepts is the one that we see here in verse 27. Um, precepts and keeping it simple for me, precepts are like building blocks. It's a pattern that is followed step by step. As an example, God has given us His design, His building blocks, if you will, for biblical marriage. He's given us His building blocks or precepts on biblical parenting, and these are just examples. He's given us His precepts on how we are to worship Him corporately. And of course, this list continues into every aspect of our lives in Christ. The psalmist is praying independence on God for God to provide understanding concerning His precepts, His step-by-step, step-by-step guide for godly living. 
verse 27 tells us why the psalmist wants to understand God's precepts. He says, make me understand the way of your precepts so I will muse on your wondrous deeds. He's saying, I want to understand so that I can muse or I can meditate on all the wondrous things that you've done. You know, and here I've used the idea of digesting God's word. We sing the hymn, Speak, O Lord, right? Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Right? That's it. You know, we take the food of God's word and digest it. We are to meditate on it. And God uses this process to plant these truths deep within us. Remember Colossians 3 again says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Plant it deep in us. Right? That's what he's doing. There are many examples of how individuals have behaved under extreme circumstances. But I think of Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. And I wish I had time to read this entire speech of Stephen. It's Acts chapter 7, and it's as he's standing before the Sanhedrin, right before he was out, brought out to be stoned. Right? Stephen clearly had the Word of God dwelling deeply in his heart. Acts chapter 7 has 53 verses of Stephen outright confronting the leaders. And I will say that this was done by Stephen all in love. Right? Stephen was loving his enemy by giving the tr- them the truth they needed to hear. Right? But Stephen builds this defense on the testimony of God, beginning with Abraham and bringing them all the way to where he says that they have done the exact same thing as their fathers did. Verse 52 says, I'll just read it. says, And which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become? When Stephen finished, the Sanhedrin leaders were beside themselves. Barring from the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, Stephen's preaching was logic on fire. Stephen was able, so I asked the question, how was Stephen able under those circumstances to recount a coherent and complete account of God's testimony? And it was because he had mused, he had meditated, he had digested the Word of God. It was buried deep in his heart. You know, he didn't have to think about what he wanted to say in even the most extreme circumstances that he found himself. It just flowed out of him. Right? When we share the gospel, it, it has to be because the truths are planted deep in us. And as a result of musing and meditating on them. If we find ourselves in deep spiritual despair, as the psalmist does, we return to an acknowledgement of what God has done in our lives and our dependence on Him and remember God's precepts, His building blocks that we are buried in our hearts and God uses this to carry us through the pain and through the despair. And that's why He says, I want to muse, I want to meditate on your statutes. So we've seen our need to depend on God. We've seen a need to digest God's word. Right? And next we see the psalmist's personal determination. Verses 30 and 31. The psalmist says, I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your judgments before me. I cling to your testimonies. Right? He says, I have chosen the faithful way. The psalmist is, is demonstrating that he wants and he has chosen a life of integrity, a life of trustworthiness. He says, I've chosen the faithful way. 
the way that God's Word has directed him. Not his own way, but the faithful way, God's way. The psalmist has a renewed personal commitment to God's Word and walking according to it. He says, I have chosen the faithful way. Next he says, I have placed your judgments before me. I have placed your judgment before me. Judgments, God's judgments are his decisions, right? And they are always perfect and true. Sometimes we say, it is as the Lord would have it, right? That is his judgment in any matter. Some of you had noticed this week that I changed the title to, uh, to the message from one week to the next. In fact, I changed much of the message from one week to the next. Um, and I believe it's just because God was sharing, showing things to me uh, that I wanted to share tonight. Um, but I will tell you that on, on Monday, you know, Pastor and I had talked about if I would preach again tonight. And we were, we were waiting for a decision on what would be, what would be best. And I, my flesh wanted to reach out to Pastor and say, you know what? Why don't we just you know, put that one on the shelf and we'll, we'll save it for later. But I, I, I fought against that. I didn't do that. I mean, I knew how busy a week I was going to have. I knew what kind of commitments I was always already committed to. I knew there wasn't going to be a lot of time, but I wasn't going to call an attempt to manipulate the situation. And we can do that. We can try to manipulate situations to make them better for us. I didn't do that. I got a text on Tuesday that said, you're on for Sunday night. Immediately you feel the pressure come back on. The, the, the pressure of, of standing here, really, and saying, thus says the Lord. The, the pressure of studying the time restraints. But it, as the, it was as the Lord would have it. That's the only thing I could tell myself. It is as the Lord would have it. That's His judgment. He wants you there. It was His decision. Right? I think we would all be encouraged by that to just recognize that when things are happening, if we say it's as the Lord would have it, we can rest in that. And we can know and we can go to Him and, and recognize that we have a dependence on Him. That's, when, that's where He wants us. He wants us dependent on Him. He does not want us thinking that we have any ability to depend on be dependent on ourselves. Right? The psalmist says he's placed God's judgments before him and he agrees with them. Early in this, earlier, the psalmist was clinging to the dust. And now in verse 31, look what it says. He says, I will cling to your testimonies. He was clinging to the dust. Now he's saying, I'm going to cling to your testimonies. Stephen had clung to God's testimonies and even the most trying of circumstances. There was no way Stephen was going to let go of those testimonies of God. There was no way he was going to let them go. I mean, he died for them, right? He wasn't going to let go. Why? Because it was God's testimonies and because they had become Stephen's testimonies. He embraced them. He clung to them, even to the point of the death. death. And the psalmist is saying, I cling to your testimonies. Do me a favor, turn over to verse 111, just for a minute. Verse 111. Verse 111 says, <clears throat> I have inherited your testimonies forever. As believers, we have inherited the testimonies of God. They are now our testimonies, and we cling to them. 
And there's no greater testimony than Jesus Christ. Right? Born of a virgin. Having lived a perfect and sinless life. Crucified for our sins. Raised on the third day. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Interceding on our behalf. We cling to the testimony of Jesus Christ. I would tell you that before I was saved, I could have maybe shared a few stories about Jesus. I could have driven around the neighborhood this time of year and seen a manger. Talked a little bit about how Jesus was born in a manger, laid in a trough. But it wasn't my testimony. right? I wasn't clinging to it. It wasn't mine yet. I hadn't embraced the truths. And I wasn't clinging to the testimony of the sacrifice that Christ made for me. That's what, the, that's what the psalmist is saying. I'm clinging to your testimonies. They are mine. Right? Another hymn, another one of our favorite hymns expresses this truth. It's His robes for mine. The first verse says, His robes for mine. A wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in His righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place He died. We cling to that testimony. That's what the psalmist is saying. I cling to your testimonies. No matter what comes our way, no matter whatever comes at us, no no matter whatever the society brings our way, we must cling to that testimony and never let it go. The psalmist was committed to clinging, but he also recognizes his utter dependence upon, upon God to make this happen. We must be determined to cling, but we will not cling without God's strengthening us in that. Look at the, ver- look at the end of verse 31. Verse 31, the end says, I cling to your testimonies, O Yahweh, do not put me to shame. Ultimately, the psalmist knows that left to his own strength, he will wander from God's ways. And when he wanders, he exposes himself to committing sinful actions. And this is only going to bring him shame. Verse 10 says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. He strays from his commandment, from the commandments. He, he stops choosing God's way. He chooses his own way. He stops choosing the faithful way. He chooses his own way. And the only result of that is falling short of the glory of God and bringing him shame. And he says, Lord, I have to depend on you. Do not put me to shame. We can hear the humility in his voice. Oh, Yahweh, oh, Lord, I can't do this without you. You know I love your word in your truth more than anything, but I can't do this without you. For our psalmist, anytime he found himself being brought low by the things of the world or being brought down by the circumstances of life and not responding the way he knew he should, he was ashamed. It crushed him. We might say anytime he found himself not responding in a manner worthy of his calling, right? Ephesians 4, Philippians 1. Anytime he recognized this happened in his life, he became utterly discouraged. And he knew he needed God's strength and divine intervention in his life in order to walk the faithful path that he was personally committed to walking. 
The psalmist ends this section with the most really encouraging of words. This is where we see the psalmist's delight. We've seen the depths of despair leading to his acknowledgement, acknowledged dependence on God. We've seen his great desire to meditate and digest God's word and to bury these truths deep inside himself. We've seen the psalmist's personal determination to walk faithfully and cling to the word of God. And all of it leads to the great delight that the psalmist has. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, I shall run the way of your commandments for you will enlarge my heart. First he says, I will run the way of your commandments. He is engaged and he is focused on the things above. Right? Colossians 3. Remember the psalmist didn't want just to be revived so that he could crawl through life. He wanted to be restored to great enthusiasm for living as God would have him live. So here he says, he does not just want to walk. Right? He says he wants to run. I shall run the way of your commandments. We might say that we don't want to be stumbling along as a, as a nominal Christian. We want to be fully engaged, each one of us. Doers of the word, loving as we ought, committed and delighted in God's word. That's where we want to be. right? That's where the psalmist wanted to be. He wanted to be extremely revived. And the psalmist has been revived. He is back to delighting in the things of God. I shall run the way of your commandments. The psalmist says, you will, you will enlarge my heart. Right? What's he saying? He's saying that he is confident that God will give him the understanding and the strength that results in an enlarged spiritual heart. God strengthens you and gives you understanding. And by that, he is enlarging your heart. The psalmist says, you will. That's confidence. You will enlarge my heart. He knows that God delights in doing this very thing. The giving of strength and the understanding when we come to Him. That's what God delights in. He delights in when we've reached the end of ourselves and we come to Him. And He delights in it. God always wants us to be in a position of recognized dependence on Him, praying, O Lord, O Yahweh, Heavenly Father, I am committed to Your Word. I long to be fruitful and faithful to your truths. I trust that you have given me everything I need for life and godliness. I want to be a doer of your word and not just a hearer only. Oh Lord, do not put me to shame. Give me the strength I need to do what you are asking of me. And all this was in the depths of spiritual depression. So the psalmist acknowledges his dependence on God. He understands the importance of digesting God's word, meditating, dwelling on it. He's personally convicted that he must be determined to do his part. And ultimately, his delight returns because he knows that reviving him is exactly what God wants to do. Maybe this be our pattern of living and prayer as we most assuredly face times of pain and spiritual depression but always remembering that God delights in reviving us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your Word is clear, that it is, that it is truthful, that it doesn't hide anything, that it doesn't hide discouragements, it doesn't hide sin, it doesn't hide the frailties of the human flesh. Lord, we thank You especially that we can come to You
we can come boldly to your throne of grace, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would do just that. That we would acknowledge our need on you, Lord, and, and recognize that you delight in reviving us. The answer is always the same. Going to your word, asking for your strength, and then being determined to follow through. Thank you for these truths, Lord. I pray that you would bless them to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.